Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, on today's podcast, I have a few updates from around the world, and I wanted to provide a movie review for you. I went and saw Beauty and the Beast, and well, you'll have to wait for the review to hear what I thought about it. We'll start off with a topic that came up recently, and it was Bob Iger giving a talk, and he was talking about Disney's attention to detail and continuing the Disney ideal of creating something that's an immersive experience. And what he said specifically was that with all of the new things that are coming to Disney, the plan is not to do virtual reality and put people in something where it feels like it's hokey or they have to put on a pair of goggles to see something, but instead do things that are more augmented reality. So you take things further and you make them more interesting and you can create an experience that re that's real. When you walk into Cars Land, you feel like you're in Radiator Springs because of what we built, not only the attention to detail, but the scale. So there's what he mentioned was that there were other theme parks that do it differently and they've decided to use virtual reality, but he's not going to. And I applaud him for that because it upholds the Disney ideal that you're trying to build something that's much more immersive, that you're engaging people and delighting them in some way and not forcing them to put on something where they feel like they're in a different world and, you know, making it harder for them in some way. Now I can understand the 3D glasses because that's really at this point the only way to do 3D, but it's a very simple thing. It's a piece of plastic you're putting over your glasses or your eyes or whatever, and it's not so bad. And it actually does give you a little more immersive experience. And for some people that doesn't work, and I understand that, but at least they're trying to do something that's a little bit more interesting and compelling than just making it a traditional two-dimensional ride. So I, I give them credit for that, and I hope that they continue to think outside the box a little bit and continue to do more things that are in the augmented reality space and actually enhancing on your experience rather than just doing virtual reality where you feel like you're inside something. And that leads me to talking about Pandora, the world of Avatar. So now there's an opening date for Pandora, and that's going to be at the end of May. And we're getting some preview information that's coming out about some things that are happening there, and it's kind of interesting. And like I've told you in the past, I'm really not a fan of the Pandora movie. I kind of thought it was hokey, it was too visually stimulating, and had no real story. But I've always said that if anybody could do this right, it's going to be Disney. Now there's a little bit of a backstory that goes into this. James Cameron had started doing some work along the way in different movies and coming up with different visualizations. When he created the Titanic movie, he created a seventh, eighth scale or something like that scale of the Titanic that he actually built uh, the hull of at least. So it looked, looked right from the outside. And you think about that and you go, wow, that really did uh, cut it to the edge and make something really unique and different that most people would not have done in that situation. So it's kind of cool that he took the time to do that. He also directed some of the Terminator movies. And along the way, Universal snatched him up and had him create the Terminator ride over at the Universal Studios in Orlando. And it was a fairly successful ride. It's since been replaced with something else, but it had a lot of merit to it. Now, also along the way, the Harry Potter story took off and J.K. Rowling had some great conversations with Disney about potentially creating 
a Harry Potter themed land somewhere on a Disney property. The problem was they couldn't come to an agreement about how immersive it would be, what it would be, how it would work, and the things that they would do. Disney has never based anything on someone else's property before, except for the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. Now, they've themed things to other things before, where they've kind of added in some elements like Rock and Roller Coaster with Aerosmith, where they added the Aerosmith element into it, but that could be just as easily removed and you'd still have a pretty good ride. So... You have to think about that. The Disney never really did this before, and it was because they bought the Twilight Zone property, the, the rights to the TV shows and so forth, that they decided to do that. So it's interesting because, you know, here's J.K. Rowling with the Harry Potter stories, and the movies are successful, and the books are wildly successful, and she's trying to negotiate with Disney, and they can't come to consensus on what they're going to do. So she went to Universal and she talked to them, and they had a very clever idea of creating two immersive-themed lands that would be connected by the Hogwarts Express. And it had the catch of you had to have theme park admission to both parks. So there's a little hook that keeps people in and makes it kind of interesting. Disney watched this go along and they were like, huh, maybe we could have done that too. And I think they missed the boat a little bit on it. Perhaps not. Perhaps they had other things that worked pretty well. I'm, you know, I think that they had some other ideas that have come out okay in their favor. But also along the way, Universal hired some of the Imagineers from Disney's staff to come over and work on the Harry Potter theme rides. And by using their creative artistry and their intelligence, they were able to use some of that to create something that's a pretty good theme land over at Universal. Now, maybe it comes up a little bit short on what Disney might have done, but maybe not. So Disney didn't want to have that happen again. And given both of those things and the fact that James Cameron had a fairly successful movie in Avatar and had plans for two more movies, they didn't want to lose out. It's Cameron's creative artistry that they really wanted. And if you think back in history, it's happened several times that Disney has hired people with creative ideas and with a creative streak to them to come and work for them. And it's the creative part of it they really want. They're securing the license to the product, to the brand, to be sure, but they're also getting the creative mind behind it. And they didn't want Universal to steal away James Cameron and do another ride, something like the Terminator ride that they had at Universal before. So they locked him up by contract to come and do something at Disney. Now, we can debate back and forth all day whether Disney actually intended to build an Avatar land or if they were just holding him back so he couldn't create it somewhere else. I really have no inside knowledge of that. I've heard people argue on both sides of it. But be that as it may, it did turn out that they wound up getting him in and they're creating a property called Pandora, the world of Avatar, that's going to open in the Animal Kingdom in a few weeks. So it's really kind of interesting how it all kind of came to be. And as I said, I think Disney can do it right. And the photos I've seen so far and some of the videos that they've made and the new uh, Navi uh, warrior who talks to you on the, on the ride that looks a little – that's you know, like audio animatronics you know, version 5.0 or something. You know, it's a whole new generation of audio animatronics that takes things to a new level really is pretty remarkable. And I think you can see a lot of creativity that goes into that. So I'm curious to see what it's going to look like. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to make it up to see the opening anytime in the immediate future. I'm hoping to get up there – maybe sometime in the early summer. So I'll give you some insights. And if I don't get some insights, I probably will bring on a guest to the podcast to talk about it because I want to know more about it. So anyway, some of the things that we know are going to be there is the Avatar Flight of Passage, where you're going to soar on the back of a mountain banshee during a thrilling ride over this vast moon. Now, I've heard various reports on what this is actually going to be. The leading one seems to be that it's going to be like a Soren type ride where you're on a bench of a sort and they lift you up and then they move you around a little bit and it feels like you're on the back of something. So they'll have 
more individualized things instead of having like, you know, 20 people across the bench, it might be two and you'll ride on the back and you'll be uh, soaring along. So similar type of ride environment, but with a little more motion. Now, whether this is actually true or it's like a, a, a development beyond that, I'm not really sure, but it does sound like it could be pretty interesting. There's also the Navi River Journey, venture deep into a bioluminescent forest in search of the Navi Shaman of Songs. Now, this one looks something like, you know, a mashup of maybe Pirates of the Caribbean or perhaps uh, the uh, Frozen Ever After ride in Norway, or perhaps it's a small world. It's a boat ride that's a gentle boat ride for the most part through the forest. I imagine there'll be something that happens along the way that will make it kind of exciting and they'll have some sort of waterfall because you got to have some thrill in it, right? There's also the Valley of Moara, where you can hike amid floating mountains, glowing fauna and flora, and native drum circles and more. So that one actually looks kind of cool. That's where you see the mountains that, are, that have been created that are like floating mountains. They actually do look pretty cool. Looks like perhaps they are floating in that sense. And then there's the exotic tastes and flavors of Pandora. There's the Satuli Canteen. Indulge in the art of, and culture of the Navi as you dine inside the former RDA mess hall. Pongu Pongu, where you'll wet your whistle at this popular drink stand run by one of the moon's eclectic expats. And then as far as shopping, because you can't miss that, there'll be the wind traders from Navi cultural items to science kits and animal toys bring a piece of Pandora home. And there'll also be a face painting uh, location there called the Colors of Mawara, uh, where they're inspired designs based on the Navi and Pandora. Disney has decided that they're going to run the park very late. So Animal Kingdom will be open much later than it typically would have been. Typically it closes around dusk, so it would close around seven. But what they're going to do is they're going to actually leave the Pandora theme land open until 11 p.m. And they're going to open it at 8 a.m. instead of 9 a.m. So people can get in there and get their fast passes and enjoy it and, and take it in. And then for pass holders and people who are staying on property, there will be extra magic hours that go from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. So this is really kind of interesting. It's unusual for Disney to do this, especially at the Animal Kingdom, where they're actually going to have the park open later in that sense. So kind of cool. It's uh, kind of a neat idea, and that'll go through July 4th. They'll have those hours, then they'll adjust the hours after that. You can book Fast Pass Pluses for it now, depending on your uh, intended stay, but you can actually get your uh, Fast Passes for the... Flight of Passage and the Navi River Journey. It's one or the other for your Fast Pass Plus, but you can select one of them that you'd like to go to. So I'm intrigued to see what this is going to look like. Now that it's ready to open, I'm thinking, wow, this is kind of interesting. And again, I'm sure Disney will do it right, and I want to see what it is. I wasn't that into the movie, so I don't know what I'm going to take away from it. I don't remember much of the story. It's been over five years since the movie came out, and the next one's not coming out for another almost two years now. So you kind of have, you sit in the middle and you go, wow, this is a long time between them. And if the next movie falls flat, then what? You know, you go back and you look at the Avatar movie, the original one that came out, and you think, wow, it's, you know, it's still colorful and vibrant, but again, it's sort of missing something. It was very cutting edge for the time, but was missing some of the storyline elements that would make it compelling and worth watching again and again and again. You know, more like, I know James Cameron had, com had compared his movies to Star Wars, and I think Star Wars, the original one, The A New Hope, had a much more compelling and sweeping storyline that really did capture the imagination. For the time period it was created in 1977, it really does stand the test of time. Yeah, George Lucas kind of did some funny things when he created his special editions, but in general, it still has a lot of life to it and it's really pretty good. So it's, it's easy to watch still. I'm not sure that Avatar will be or is, but we'll see. And I wanna see what this looks like and how it comes across and what they're gonna do with it because there's some fascinating things that they could do. And you know, we'll see where it goes from there. 
And moving on from the news, I wanted to answer two questions that I've gotten recently. And the first one was about the Memory Maker and Disney's Memory Maker service that they offer. Now, the, the questions kind of ranged in different places about what, what Memory Maker is and how much it costs and what it works like. So basically, the Memory Maker package is a way to use all the PhotoPass services you've got it, so you can link everything together into one single account, basically. So as somebody takes your picture with the PhotoPass, you can go and look at those pictures and they're all part of a package. So if you're there for a week's vacation, it's a really great way to use the PhotoPass service to have pictures of everything. It includes, it includes any standalone PhotoPass photographers that you might see anywhere in the park. So you, maybe you'll see one standing in front of the castle in the Magic Kingdom. You can use them. You could be standing, uh, meeting Mickey Mouse and somebody takes a picture there. It also includes pictures that are taken on the rides. So when you have the on-ride picture, so you're splashing down Splash Mountain, there would be a picture taken there. That will also be included in the Memory Maker. So what it is, is it's all these PhotoPass pictures all combined into one location so that you can use them. The cost is $149 if you book it before your vacation and $169 if you uh, don't pre-purchase it and decide to purchase it while you're there. Still could be a tremendous value because you have the rights to all the pictures that are there. And the other cool part is, you know, you don't have to hand your phone or your camera, you don't even have to carry it with you, to someone else to take a picture of everyone in the picture. You just jump in and everyone's there. Of course, the pictures are all professional photos because they're taken by the PhotoPass photographers who are using high-end cameras and taking some pretty good pictures. Because you own all the pictures, you can download all of them. So supposing you're there for a week and during the course of the week, you maybe take a thousand pictures as you walk past a PhotoPass photographer. You can take all thousand photos and you own every single one of them and you can do what you want. You can put them in an online scrapbook. You could print them and uh, put them in a, in a physical scrapbook, whatever you like. So you have many ways to use it. And the other cool thing is you can view and save your photos in the My Disney Experience app. You just tap on the app and you can go and look at it. So it really is overall a good value if you're going to be spending any length of time there. If you're only going for a day, perhaps it's not worth $149, but if it's the vacation of a lifetime or you're going for a week and you don't go that often, it is certainly worth it. So essentially what you're doing is you're prepaying to have all of the photos available to you so that you can take them all when you go home. They do also allow you to take some of these really cool special shots that you may have seen online somewhere. Maybe somebody's standing there with their hand out and they have Tinkerbell on their hand or they're holding balloons and the balloons are digitally added later. So all of those things can be used as a part of this whole service and they call it Memory Maker and it's part of the PhotoPass service and really all you're doing is you're just pre-purchasing all of this in advance. So for $149, if you purchase it in advance, you just go up to any PhotoPass photographer anywhere in the park and you just tap your magic band against their reader and that just adds it to your account. And if at any point you have any problems and maybe some of your pictures didn't show up, you can go look in the, in the app along the, along the way as you're going through the day and go look at them. Maybe some pictures didn't show up. You can actually contact Disney, you know, talk to a PhotoPass photographer while you're there or contact them afterwards, and they'll give you instructions on how to help retrieve some of those photos. Because sometimes they just get misrouted or they just get misplaced. It does happen. But if anything happens, they'll take care of it for you. And it's pretty cool. So then you have all of these photos. You have the magic of your Disney vacation all saved up in one place. Very simple service, very easy. You don't have to carry a camera with you, which is a nice feature if you think about it. One of the things that Disney touts is that you don't have to hand your camera to a stranger who may not know how to use it. So as you link up your account and there's a picture of your son and there's a picture of your daughter and there's a picture of all four of you or all six of you or all eight of you and you have all of them together in one photo and it's in one photo package and you have that ability to go back and look at them. 
So I hope I've answered all your questions about Memory Maker and how it works. It's very, very simple. It just sounds confusing on the surface because they make it so all-encompassing. It's everything. So it kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, but it really is pretty easy and they make it very simple to use. And another question I got was about my tagline at the end of the show. If you can dream it, you can do it. So the question is, is that really a Walt Disney quote? And the answer is no, it's not. It's a quote that I happen to love. The tagline was conceived of by Tom Fitzgerald. He's an Imagineer who still works in WDI. In the early 1980s, he was working on Epcot's design, and specifically he was working on one of my favorite attractions of all time, Horizons. And in the Horizons show, that was one of the pieces that he wrote into the script. It showed up in the dialogue. It showed up in a couple of places on the walls. You heard people kind of referring to it several times. This isn't exactly the first time anyone's tried to make this trip. People have been dreaming about the future for centuries. I suppose people have always dreamed of the future. We sure do. The only difference is that today, with what we know and what we're learning to do, we really can bring our dreams to life. It takes a lot of work, but the truth is, if we can dream it, we can do it. Tomorrow's horizons are here today. It really was kind of a catchphrase, and it really struck me. I loved that attraction so much, and it was one of the few that I absolutely loved, and I'm really sad to see subtracted from the Disney pantheon, if you will. It was just such a great attraction. So I like to pay tribute to it by using that particular phrase as my catchphrase, my you know ending phrase, because it really was pretty cool. But it wasn't a Walt Disney quote. It actually came from someone else. But I just love it so much because it was about one of my favorite Walt Disney attractions of all time. And now moving on to talk about Beauty and the Beast. So I went and saw the movie with my daughter and my wife. 
I went into it with kind of moderate expectations. I absolutely love the original animated version that Disney did. There was something so wonderful about it. So enriched. It had such a rich tapestry. It had such a great story. Yes, I know there are gaps in the storyline and somehow it's kind of quirky in a few places, but the musical score was great. The storyline was great. You know, I had, I was at a point in my life, it was 1991 when it came out, I believe. And I had just entered into a new relationship with a girlfriend and it was all very exciting. And, you know, we got Beauty and the Beast t-shirts and the whole thing there. And it's just, it was kind of neat. It just had that sort of magic to it because it was the right time, right place. And I love the musical score. And it was just a wonderful film. And I, you know, it's one that I own and I watch you know, somewhat regularly. I have the soundtrack and I listen to it at times because it's just so good. So I went into it with moderate expectations. Uh, live, I, you know, my first thought was a live action version of Beauty and the Beast. Really? Do we need one? And I also had this sort of feeling about Emma Watson. You know, I didn't know who should play Belle. When, uh, when I heard she was going to play Belle, I was like, hmm, I don't know about that. But I actually can't think of anyone that I would want to play Belle. Paige O'Hara was so good as Belle in the animated version that I couldn't think of anyone that would really be good as Belle. You know, maybe some unknown actress who would kind of fit the role would, would be good. But I couldn't think of anyone that I really wanted to play the role. So Emma Watson comes on the screen, obviously after they tell the initial story about what happened with the boy. The first song you hear is, there goes the girl who's strange but special. Very different from the rest of us, she's Belle. And Emma Watson captured me in that moment. I don't know what she did. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just the, the vistas they had of this small town. It just sort of worked. And the story worked for me. She felt right in that role and everything kind of worked there. It's, it's such a, you know, it's so strange when I sat there and I was like, I was emotional about it. I had an affection for the, for the movie. I had something that I really, really liked about it. Dan Stevens was good at the beast. Uh, Luke Evans was fantastic as Gaston. I thought he was a great Gaston. That was about the best Gaston I could have thought of playing in that role. And of course, Josh Gad was really good as LeFou. Now, I give Disney so much credit for hyping up the film in a way that was kind of unexpected. They talked about the fact that LeFou's character might be gay. And people got all up excited in it. And they were just like, oh my goodness, how could he be gay? Oh, it's a terrible thing. But Disney got a ton of publicity out of it. And I thought it was really masterful on their part to get interest in their movie before the movie was even released. Before anyone even saw it, they were forming opinions about it. Now, is he, is he gay? Can you tell in the storyline that he's gay? Sure. If you're watching and you're paying attention to him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, and in the very last scene, he dances with another man, but you know, in passing, it may not even be noticeable because it's just like, you know, they were changing partners along the way and he just wound up dancing with another man, but the subtlety of it was great. And the way that they, they talked about it, you know, because they left it to your imagination to figure it out. It really wasn't in your face in any way. I thought they did a great job of kind of doing it. Yeah. You could throw in there. Oh yeah. Disney's throwing social things, uh, whatever. It, it, I think I thought it worked. And when you go back and you watch the animated version again, watch LeFou. There's something about him, even in the animated version, where you have to wonder, wow, he's awfully close to Gaston, isn't he? It's kind of a weird thing. So it kind of, it made more sense. And 
Speaking of making more sense, I thought Disney plugged a lot of holes in the storyline. The animated version, one of the things that irritated me to no end about it, is the boy was supposed to be like eight or nine years old, and by the time his 18th birthday came, if the last rose petal fell off, he would uh, remain the beast. And here he was up in this castle up on a hill that wasn't that far from the town, and he was only 10 years, and how do they all forget about this castle and these people who live there? And I thought they did a great job of filling in that story gap and helping you to understand how that might have happened. And they even closed the gap a little bit more by some of the characters being related to, married to, whatever, some of the people that were town folk. So it just kind of worked. And there's a, there's a theory floating around on the internet that I read that was um, something along the lines of maybe the people in the town are actually caught in a time loop because they're part of this too. So that's why everything's the same every day. Every day, like the one before, little town full of little people waking up to say, Bonjour! 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 There goes the baker with his tray, like always, the same old bread and rolls to sell. Every morning just the same Since the morning that we came To this poor provincial town Good morning, Belle Morning, monsieur Where are you off to? The bookshop I just finished the most wonderful story About a beanstalk and an ogre and a... That's nice Marie! The baguettes! Hurry up! Look, there she goes The girl is strange No question Any crowd, cause her head's upon some cloud. No denying she's a funny girl that day. Bonjour. Good day. How is your family? Bonjour. Good day. How is your wife? I need six eggs. That's too expensive. There must be more than this provincial life. Ah, Belle. Good morning. It's yours. But, sir... I insist. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Look, there she goes, that girl is so peculiar. I wonder if she's feeling well. With a dreamy talk. And her nose stuck in a book. A puzzle to the rest of us is there. I'm afraid she's rather odd, very different from the rest of us. She's nothing like oh, the rest of us. Oh, oh. Oh. And don't I deserve the best? Well, of course, I mean, you do, but on to the... Right from the moment when I met her, saw her, I said she's gorgeous and I fell. Here in town there's only she, who is beautiful as me. So I'm making plans to woo and marry Belle. Look there, he goes, isn't he dreaming? He's still laughing. Oh, he's so cute. He's still my heart. I'm hardly breathing. He's such a tall, strong, and handsome. Oh, so 
Suddenly, it makes sense, right? And here they here comes Belle and, and her father coming to the this new town, and they're not accepted because they're not in the loop. Kind of interesting, right? You know, good good thought on that. So I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really great. There was one or two new songs that they put in it, but otherwise, it was the same songs that you're familiar with. A couple of different lines here and there that made it just a little bit different than it was, but essentially the same songs and just had that same richness to it. Still had that wonderful feeling to it. Yes, it was very much like a Disney animated cartoon in that sense. It didn't really feel like a live action film in a way, though it was, and they had the rich vistas and everyone came to life and they brought the characters in and everything. If you're looking for great cinema, it's not, but it is great entertainment. And I really enjoyed it. The old softy in me said, wow, this is, this is really good. I enjoyed it almost as much as I enjoyed the animated film. It just had, it captured me from the moment it started. And I went all the way through to the end going, this is terrific. I'm really enjoying this. It really was quite good. And I highly recommend seeing it if you hadn't. I'm not giving anything away because, you know, you already know the storyline. It just helps fill in some gaps and make things come to life a little bit more. But it's essentially the same story. Everything kind of happens the same way and it kind of goes along the same way. And uh, it's very clever the way they've done it. And I thought they did a nice job of, uh, you know, getting the mob mentality as they went to kill the beast. And then the, uh, the way the castle protects itself is, is pretty cool the way they brought it to life. But nicely done, you know, very entertaining, had a certain, you know, certain feeling to it that was good. I, 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 again, I don't think it was like the greatest film ever, but I enjoyed it thoroughly. And I walked out of there going, wow, I, you know, this was worth seeing. Sometimes you go see these live action remakes and you go, meh, this one just worked. So I wanted to share that with you and, you know, encourage you to go and see it if you haven't already. It's, uh, it's really quite, quite entertaining. So there you go. That's my podcast for this week. I've got a couple of things there for you. I hope you enjoyed. And remember, if we can dream it, we can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then... Gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 